Even as like a five-year-old, she was saying like, okay, I want you to, to describe a beautiful day with sunshine and like try to be like that emotive in playing. So that, I mean, that's something that has stuck with me forever. So now that's what I do. You know, I try to like kind of tell a story with what I play. Greetings, everybody. This is Keith Billick, and this is another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'd like to welcome all of you old friends back for this episode, and also welcome in any new listeners we have. In case you're unfamiliar with the show, I'm Keith. I'm just a banjo player, like most of you probably are, and I'm making the podcast that I always wanted to listen to, but I could never find, so I, I really enjoy talking to banjo players talking about banjos really f- figuring out what makes them what makes them tick and where they get their creativity from and hopefully unearth some secret playing tips from all of them and i'm really lucky to have interviewed some of my favorite banjo players and i hope to keep doing that and i really hope that you're all enjoying it as well so welcome to all of you i'm really happy to have you also a reminder that if you do enjoy this podcast and would like to help me keep it running strong for as long as possible, please consider going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and just a couple bucks a month or so really helps support the podcast and offset the costs and time and work that's involved in doing all of this. And I really appreciate anyone who's done that. So once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become an official sponsor of the show. Today we have two very special Patreon supporters that I need to personally thank for sponsoring this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. The first one is Bob Towsley, and I'm not sure where Bob is from or anything, but I'm so glad that he managed to find the podcast and become a listener, and of course that he also became a Patreon supporter. So Bob, thank you very much for your support. The other Patreon supporter of today's episode is Jordan Taylor, and like many of us, it seems like he is really sponging up as much banjo information and experiences as he possibly can. He's driving his family all over the place, went to Bela Flex camp, and met a lot of his heroes, including Kristen Scott Benson, who just won the IBMA award. So congrats to Kristen. And thank you so much, Jordan, for tracking down the podcast and for your kind comments about that. So once again, if you'd like to join Bob and Jordan in supporting the show, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Other than that, the ways to support the show are to share it with your friends on social media. I'm on social media, Picky Fingers on Facebook. On Instagram, it's picky underscore fingers. And on Twitter, it's at Banjo Podcast. So follow me on all those. Spreading the word like that is is a big help. So I really appreciate all of you who do that. You can email the show with any of your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, any of those things. Send that to PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com. And I always love hearing from you that way too. Actually, speaking of emailing the show... I do have one specific type of request that I'm going to ask of you. I've noticed lately that there have been a ton of really cool banjo-oriented albums coming out recently, either 
by uh, people who are banjo players doing a solo album apart from their normal band, or perhaps just bands that happen to have really great banjo players coming out with new discs recently. So I might, I'm in the early stages of thinking about doing an episode just dedicated to new banjo releases. So what I'm asking you is if you know of any particularly excellent banjo uh, recordings that have come out lately, and by lately I guess I mean this year or in the last six months or eight months or so, let me know about them and, and what you think. I can't promise that I will get to listen carefully to every single suggestion. I do like purchasing the albums when at all possible, just to give the artist a little bit of, uh, you know, of that type of thanks for all their hard work and artistry. So I will try to listen to as much as possible. But as I'm in the early planning stages, like I said, I would like to make sure that I don't miss over any, any really obvious inclusions to mention on that episode. So if you've heard some really great banjo music lately that you think I should know about, uh, send it along. I, w- I would really love to know about it. And once again, in case you didn't catch it the first time, that's pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. However, spoiler alert, in case you were going to suggest the new Gina Furtado Project album, which is titled I Hope You Have a Good Life, don't bother. I already know about it. That will definitely be included. And it's no coincidence that I've been listening to that one quite a bit recently, given that today's uh, featured guest happens to be Gina Furtado. But honestly, I'd be listening to the heck out of that album, even if uh, she wasn't going to be the guest. It's really good. She has a really fresh banjo style, which, let's face it, there are so many good players these days that it really takes a lot to stand out from the crowd. But I think Gina's ability to go between a more traditional rolling bluegrass style to maybe a more percussive, angular, funky approach, Uh, she can do really complex arrangements if she wants to she really has the ability to do all those things and it all just comes out as sounding really original and one of my favorite parts of this interview is when she talks about where she gets those ideas from and and how she approaches that so i really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as i did she's been nominated at least a couple times for the ibma banjo player of the year She gained a lot of attention as the banjo player for Chris Jones and the Night Drivers, which, of course, if you listened to the interview with Grace Vantoff, you know that Grace is now the banjo player, and Gina has started her own Gina Furtado project, which is is up and running full speed. Uh, So it seems like she has a lot going for her and a lot of music to make, and I encourage you to check it out. So here it is, my conversation with Gina Furtado. live in Winchester, Virginia, and I was born and raised around that area. Um, and I started playing the banjo when I was like 10 or 11 um, after having gone to the Galax Fiddlers Convention. So I went down there, and, and I had been trained on the piano since I was like pretty little, like four or five oh, was when okay. I started piano, <clears throat> and um, went to the Fiddlers Convention, and I, it just drove me crazy to not be able to participate in the jam sessions. And so, so your parents must have dragged you there? Was that the thing? Sort of, yeah. 
Yeah, um, my uncle had long talked about going to Galax, and so we finally okay. went down. And so they weren't necessarily already into that music themselves. It was nope. more of a, like a curiosity. That yeah, they decided it was just a curiosity. Family and, honestly, outing. like kind of a fluke. Yeah. And was there something about the banjo in particular when you saw it there that that drew you to that instrument as opposed to the fiddle or yeah, anything I, else? <laughs> so I think I I kind of liked. Like, it felt kind of rebellious to me. Like, I'd been doing piano, and it was classical music, and I just remember <laughs> going to the piano lessons, and it's, like, so prim and proper, and, yeah. like, stale, and, um, yeah, it just felt like, it felt rebellious and it, loud. I liked that it was, like, the loudest instrument, kicked off all the songs. <laughs> it's, like, as opposite of the, the prim and proper piano right. that you can possibly get. So, how quickly after that did it happen for you that you actually were able to get a banjo in your hands and start your path to learning well actually at galax i convinced my parents to buy a banjo oh right on the spot yeah bought one at galax from one of the vendors it was 40 bucks (laughs) yeah yeah so it was like total beater but they said that if i couldn't play it in the competition the next year i'd have to pay them back for it so for 10 11 years old yeah Yeah, that's a lot of money (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I take it you you were able to to make good on that little uh, deal you had. Yeah, I mean okay, it lasted cool. it lasted a couple of months and then upgraded and yeah, you know, excellent. Didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> were you already listening to to music then? I imagine like once you start playing, you have to get into what you're even supposed to sound like, or how how did you it's actually? I have that? never thought about that. I don't think I listened to a whole lot of bluegrass music. Uh-huh. I mean, I listened to it when we went, we started going to more festivals after that and yeah. like competition, fiddlers conventions and things like that. And I think I was like mostly inspired by just the other musicians at the festivals. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't so much aware of like who was like the well-known banjo players. It was more who I saw around. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of had the FOMO kicking in of seeing all the fun that that people were having yeah, and, and absolutely. just wanting to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you get to be a part of it? I know I know that you have a lot of like family band in your background and stuff. So mm-hmm. so this must not have just been you. It was also yeah. what, you had siblings who were picking it up too. Yeah, yeah. So when I was learning the banjo, uh-huh. in the meantime my siblings who who had been trained on violin were making the conversion to fiddle. Okay. And then my sister who had been trained on cello, switched over to bass, okay. and then we just you not know, nearly as kinda, rebellious as you. I know, but like violin yeah. to fiddle. That's that's I easy know. Stuff. It's, it's a little it's a little mild. Cool. <laughs> so who did you first get into eventually? Like, uh, I mean, you must you must have eventually become aware of of some players to look up to yeah. and to, to learn from. Well, I definitely listened to Earl right off the bat. Yeah. So listened to a lot of Earl and. Ironically, I listened to a lot of Tony Furtado, and I think that no like, relation. No, no relation. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that my parents just picked up the album because we share the same last name. At, and l- then, lucky enough, it was actually a good choice. Oh man, even apart yeah. from that, yeah. So I was like totally influenced by his style and playing. Okay. And then Jens Kruger crept in there. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I listened to a lot of him growing up. I listened to the Del McCurry band, Rob McCurry. Okay. So, and how did you actually learn? Did you were you able to find a teacher, or were you self-taught? Um, actually, I I was self-taught for like the first year, mm-hmm. and then found a Murphy Method DVD at the flea market, and looked at the back of it and realized she lived like 
30 minutes away. So, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, so started getting lessons from Murphy. Uh-huh. And, and um, yep, she whipped me into shape really and, quick. And her whole thing is learning by ear, right? Yep. Is that something that you, I mean, we're here in an educational situation this, this weekend. Is that something that you do in your own teaching? Do you, do you try to incorporate yeah, the, the ear Yeah, I do, learning? actually. Yeah, I think it's... What, what's your advice for people to, to learn that way? Because I know tablature is... It can be a crutch, of course. It can be very useful. But, like, I don't know. What, what do you teach people of how to, how to learn that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think before you can really try to start learning a tune by ear, you need to be able to at least hum it so you know the melody well enough to... Mm-hmm. You know, you know the tune. Even if you can't play it on the banjo yet, you are familiar with it. So, so listening to what it is that you're setting out to learn... Yeah. Um, as much as possible before trying to learn it is super helpful. Like when I was a kid, we would listen to, and when I was, you know, trying to learn to play just, you know, just beginning, we would listen to these things called endless cassettes. Endless cassettes? Yeah. Okay. So it would be like. I don't know if I'm familiar with what (laughs) that is. It was a cassette that never ends. I mean, it just goes on repeat. I know it dates me to say a cassette, but. So it would just be like softly while we're sleeping, we'd be listening to Earl Scruggs, you know, and then <laughs> wake fantastic. up in the morning and you know how to play it. Basically, you know, you know every note of it. You you what actually that? feel like that had an effect when you're huge. Sli- Holy no, cow. absolutely huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start doing that tonight. <laughs> and it's crazy the stuff that we would listen to, and we did this for the classical music also. Uh-huh. Like I can still sing every single note of ev- like the ones that we really spent. Holy cow. effort on. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody doing that, but that's so great. Um, so then Murphy was teaching you a lot of that stuff. What were some of the key things that you feel like helped you the most? Is there anything that started to shape your, like, what is now your style of playing? Um, okay, so Murphy, I really appreciate about her teaching style that she's super precise. Like she wouldn't let you get away with like just kind of glazing over something and not quite getting it right or not quite knowing what to do. I feel like, you know, it's tempting to do that when you're learning something new is like just kind of get by with it. But I, I liked that she would have me get it note for note the way Earl Scruggs did it. And you're talking about like, what, what would be an example of that? Like playing wrong notes or a pull off that just doesn't sound right. Or like what a, um, what are we actually talking about of things that you might have tried to get away with, but we're not like, allowed so, to? Oh, gosh. I'm three days after Midwest Banjo Camp. <laughs> little... I'm having a hard time thinking of <laughs> a good example. but yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to get as much coffee into myself <laughs> as, as I can to, yeah. to keep the brain functioning. Banjo party for yeah. three days. <laughs> um, but she would do, like, say there was a lick that Earl played like this. You know, she wouldn't let me go. Like, it would be note for note. Uh Even if both ways were okay, it was just learning to be meticulous about what it is you were after. Yeah. So, yeah, not that it had to be played, not that you have to play exactly the way Earl does, but just training yourself to be meticulous. If that's your goal, to play this, then do it right. Or or maybe, you know, to give thought into every note that you're doing. Yeah. So it's not an accident. You're, it, everything is intentional. 
Like no detail is too small. Exactly. To like pay to attention to the subtle, to. subtle little details. Cool. Um, so what were your other musical influences? You met, you mentioned that you listened to a lot of classical growing up mm-hmm. and now that now you have the Furtados and the Krugers of the world. And I guess I mostly ask that because I hear a lot of, uh, swing in your playing, like your, your album that you have is surprisingly, or I guess I was surprised. I don't know what I was expecting, but it has a lot of swing mm-hmm. elements. Was that something that you listened to specifically how did that like not how did really. that show up yeah i don't know i just started <laughs> writing and it just kind of happened it just yeah but it was I, just logical i think that like i i hear stuff you know anywhere like in a grocery store you hear music or mm-hmm. you know in a movie or a tv show or something like that and just pick up little snippets here and there and i don't know i guess that's where that stuff comes from i don't really know just sublim you do really well with the subliminal Learning apparently, I guess you, so. you learn, learn in your sleep, <laughs> yeah. And when you're when you're grocery shopping, right? That, that's, yeah, that's you're influenced by grocery store music. Yeah, that's I don't cool. think I listen to a lot of swing ever. Huh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, is that even conscious to you now that most of, that you have a lot of swingy songs? Do well, you even think about it like that? Yeah, yeah. I think now, like I, I feel like it kind of suits my voice for one thing. Now when I write yeah, songs, right. I kind of do think about that. Like it works better for my voice than more bluegrass songs. Okay. So I do maybe intentionally write swing stuff now. Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. So what I I'm jumping back and forth as far as chronology goes. But when did you start to I don't know get get noticed a little more as a player? And what what were some of the the gigs that you got, or what what other bands well, were you in as you advanced? I did a lot of like the fiddlers competition, you know, fiddlers conventions or, you know, where it's just a a competition and no hired bands. So, I mean, we would go to all these, as they call them, fiddlers conventions and compete. And that pays for your ticket, right? Yeah. yeah, You get in the door free. And and, like hundreds of people are are lined up. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really fun when I was a teenager. And then, I mean, I was gigging all throughout my teens, but nothing Nothing like particularly professional or, you know, more like regional or. Mm-hmm. Was in it always area. bluegrass? Yeah, it was always bluegrass. Um, I did play with a band right before I joined Chris Jones. Uh-huh. I played with a band that was like more of a party band, sort of like we did wedding gigs and that whole deal wedding gigs and um, private parties. So we did a lot of like pop covers and stuff like that. But always Still with your style. banjo? Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Interesting. Yeah. And how did you, how did you come across? Chris Jones, how did that how did that all come about? He and the Night Drivers actually came to play at this like monthly concert series that that band, the party band I was playing with, uh-huh. hosted. So they just happened to be coming through and they played that and so that's where I met them and then And was this Ned playing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was Ned. Excellent. Yep. And then, you know, a couple months later I was just thinking I wanna 
you know, find, I just wanted, I was ready to move on and do something different. So I reached out to John and I said, if, if you know anyone looking, you know, keep, let them know I'm looking. Yeah. And he said, well, we might be looking. Oh, that's... <laughs> that was right around when Ned was leaving. So yeah, good timing. Yeah. yeah it's just good timing. When I interviewed Grace recently, you know, we, we of course touched on the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So, so what's the, what's the news concerning you and, and the night drivers here? Well, I have been playing with them about three and a half years now, mm-hmm. and and it's been absolutely wonderful in every way. But um, yeah. I've been writing so much of my own music and um, enjoying playing with my own band, and I have another album coming out here soon. So in the fall, as of September, I'm going to be leaving and oh, um, and doing my own own. Gina Furtado project full time. That's cool. What's that yeah. going to be in terms of like instrumentation? Uh, it will be banjo, fiddle, guitar, and bass. Okay, so still pretty much like yeah, a, it's still a bluegrass bluegrass yeah. ish thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have already talked to Grace, who will be your successor, and we're talking about the shoes yeah. that she needs to fill. You know the the job that Ned had and that Gina had. Yeah. And well, I'm, we, I'm super excited that she's doing it because I've known her forever and ever too. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so, great. Yeah. Um, as a you know, she has her Michigan roots, so mm-hmm. we're all very proud of her uh, yeah. for doing that. But yeah, I remember there was some discussion with her about the shoes she needs to fill, and we were talking about Ned's shoes, and we were talking about wondering what shoes Gina wears that she would need to fill. And I'm I'm happy to report that you have some. Oh, I've got chacos, yeah, comfy sandals, yeah. So. <laughs> But I don't know if you can fill those shoes. They look kind of <laughs> leaky. Eh, they won't be true. filled with anything. <laughs> Chacos. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your actual playing more. How did you develop? Are there any specific skills or, or methods that you, that you think really helped form the way you play now? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely started very traditionally, you know, under Murphy's guidance. She's a very traditional yeah. player. So I have that... You know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's mm-hmm. my foundation. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not as much of a melodic player naturally. You know, I naturally lean back on the more traditional. Okay. Um, more traditional being the the roll based. Yeah, um, more roll based yeah. scrug style playing. That's kind of my comfort zone, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I really like all different kinds of music. So, and again, my heroes were like Jens Kruger and Tony Furtado, and um, you know, Ron Block is another one of my like favorites. So. Yeah. They're all just so unique. Yeah. So I think that was like what always drew me in the most was like these players that are just doing their own thing. Yeah. So little bits of all those guys, I, I like to think, <laughs> kind of formed how I play now. Did you learn anything specific from any any of those guys that you feel like you've incorporated specifically? Like from like what were the what were your favorite Tony Furtado tricks that you learned from him or is there well, something, something that, like that that you could I guess uh, like something that both Tony Furtado and Jens Kruger do a lot uh, is they use double C tuning which oh. I've always loved that so now I do a lot of that myself oh interesting so yeah so I like I like to do a lot of the double C tuning um and that just puts it in a different voice than you're maybe used to hearing and yeah it's or, like um it's kind of old-timey sounding in its own way like, because yeah. Clawhammer players use it a lot. Yeah, it is a, yeah. a common old-time tuning. Yeah. Cool. What's this instrument that you have? It's Let, a, let's talk about the your tools. Well, sure. 
It's a it's a Gibson RB3, early okay. '90s, and it's a parts banjo. So somebody else put it together. So honestly, don't ask me about those parts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't even you don't, I don't even, even know. know what it is. If it plays well, I'm happy with it. Yeah, but, excellent. Yeah. Are there any other specific things that you're really partial to? Like, do you have some? crazy secret bridge that you've found that is your favorite and that you think everyone needs to no. know about? The only thing that I, I'm a stick, stickler for is the speed neck. So oh. that, so when I got that, when I got this banjo, the first thing I did is sand off the varnish sand from the all, back. all yeah. the finish. Yep. And you, you just prefer the feel of that or you feel it actually does speed you up a bit? I just prefer the feel of it. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't like the, oh. the stickiness of the varnish. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, the problem, totally. though, that I do experience every once in a while is that it soaks in the moisture a little more. So if I'm oh. not really good about oiling it every, every once in a while, then, you know, it goes out of tune more easily, and especially if you're traveling, you know. What if it soaks up moisture? Does it get, become more flexible or it's just, something It like just that? changes, changes the wood. So say I'm in Virginia one, you know, and then travel to, like, Arizona. Yeah. It's just a, a shift, and it kind of can throw it out of whack. <laughs> The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our official sponsor, Deering Banjos. Since 1975, Deering has firmly established themselves as the banjo specialists, creating some of the best five-string banjos available today. Artists who use Deering Banjos include five-string legends such as Jens Kruger, Allison Brown, Ryan Cavanaugh, Terry Baucom, Eddie Agcock, Rhiannon Giddens, Mark Johnson, Tony Trishka, and many others. After being in business for over 40 years, Deering has always focused on two things, the quality of their product and their renowned customer service. Whether you have been playing all your life or just starting out on banjo, Deering offers a huge array of options at every price point, as well as truly personal customer service. Even if you don't play a Deering banjo currently, their website is still stacked with great useful information on banjo maintenance, playing tips, events, news, and more. So check out their site at DeeringBanjos.com or give them a call on their toll-free number at 800-845-7791 to discover the perfect Deering Banjo for you. And of course, tell them that the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. After you've gone through these various musical stages, what do you think has affected your banjo playing in terms of like your early piano days did you stick with the piano for a while after you started banjo oh maybe like a year or two okay yeah was there anything from that that you feel carried over or helped you in any way yeah actually yeah it's amazing how like that early early development as a musician like left a huge impact actually because my teacher Mm -hmm. um her name is irene federica Hmm. um and if you know the band scythian have you ever heard of scythian i don't think so they're like look. a they're like a Celtic rock band, and they're pretty okay. like you know they've made their splash in the Celtic rock world. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, she's their mom, the Scythian, the Federica boys from that band. So oh, how anyway. cool! And they're from your area. Yeah, they're from. That, that they're was your from, piano teacher. Yeah. So oh, cool. Um, but she was absolutely amazing teacher, and she used to really encourage me to be like descriptive in my playing. So even as like a five-year-old, she was saying like, okay, I want you to, to describe a beautiful day with sunshine and like, you know, try to be like that emotive in playing. 
Wow. So that, like, I mean, that's something that has stuck with me forever. So now that's what I do. You know, I try to, like, kind of tell a story with what I play. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. And I'm just so grateful that she trusted that I could do that, or at least take it to heart at that age. You know, because most teachers, I feel like, would just say, well, she's too young for that. Maybe kids are actually better at that yeah. know, before their yeah. brains get too closed-minded or, or yeah. anything like that. Or afraid that they can't do it. Like it's, you know, I think with adult students, they, they're too afraid they can't do it, so they don't try. Yeah, or you, you, maybe you've learned that things are supposed to be difficult, mm-hmm. so you get intimidated too easily, and kids right. don't realize that they're trying to do something that's actually pretty tough, but, right. but that exactly. confidence get, makes you just just try it. So yep. you actually still think about that. All the time, the, yeah. The like if I'm writing imagery a tune. Or, yeah. yeah. Like usually if I have a, an idea for a tune, I'll, it's because I see something that I want to like illustrate. What's an example? Is there like a, a specific song that you've um, come sure. up with recently yeah, that yeah. you can remember what your your inspiration totally, was? Yeah. Well, uh, there's a couple. I'll I'll do this one called "The Wayward Kite." It's actually on my solo album. This past one, "True Colors." Okay. But it was just I went in the backyard and I saw my kid's kite like up in the tree, <laughs> and it was like little like ragged and just little pieces blowing around Flapping in the wind. Around. Yeah, yeah, and it okay. just like there was something like bittersweet about it. Like, well, how nice that they were flying a kite. <laughs> womp which, womp. Yeah. Yeah, but also kind of sad. So I tried to kind of make it sound like <laughs> okay what I saw. So I can play that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Okay. Thank you. 
cool. I'm so <laughs> I'm so glad I know that about that. Yeah, it makes it sound so much more uh, sound like a kite adventurous. Yeah, there's like a, an adventure aspect to it. And then, nice. Yeah. How cool. So, do you write something like that all in one sitting? Because that that had a lot of. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's actually a been a while since I wrote that one. I think I usually do though. Huh. Yeah, I'll usually just because I get kind of like. You get bit by the bug, you know, you get a song in your head and then, you know. That's something that really fascinates me and that I like hearing people think about. Do you, when you compose, do you feel like you are taking an idea maybe that your hands have, uh, not that hands can have ideas, but you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. something that your hands do, or is it more you have to hear it in your head first and then you're just trying to almost learn it from yourself yeah, that's um, interesting. I've I've noticed everybody does it so differently. Right, and Anyone that's why I love to. asking yeah. about it because it's everyone just has their own personal yeah take Mine, on it, and maybe it's not even always the same for even right. one person. Uh, it's not always the same for me, but yeah. generally, it's like I said, like I'll either see something that I think is unique and different, and I want to play you know, illustrate it kind of, yeah, yeah. or feel something that's kind of different, you know, that like, I kind of want to play that. And so, so I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm kind of visual about it. I try to like make it sound or appear that way with what I, with the music that I make. Like, could you actually hear some of that melody? I don't know when you're, when you're looking up at a kite, do you, do you start hearing or it's more just the overall uh, feeling, I guess? I think it's more the overall feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a tricky one. <laughs> it is. And yeah, you used a lot of, I mean, that's a pretty complex piece too, I feel. Maybe it's not complex for you, but. No, that one was more, yeah, there, more like kind of classical-ish, you know. Not yeah. everything I write is like that by um, any means, you know, but that one was like more complex than yeah. all of my stuff, so. Yeah, Definitely. How much have you worked on like your your physical approach to the the strings and and picking? Um I, I feel like you have a fairly distinctive posture in terms of your Yeah, I hold the, my right hand a lot different and I've started to notice it more like I'm I've been thinking about more lately about my own tone. Mm-hmm. Um and noticing that my hand position is a lot different than almost anyone else, which I think Everyone's hand is shaped differently, so you should have your own position. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I I would say that I'm not typically setting out to work on my hand position, but I do set out to get a certain sound. Yeah. So that has changed a lot about what my right hand position is. So I, I tend to move all over the place, like from the bridge all the way up to the fretboard and make, you know, circles. And I do anchor, but not... Not very solidly. You know, sometimes I don't anchor at all. What do you mean you make circles? So it's like, (laughs) this was another thing actually my piano teacher was really encouraging me to do is like use the physical like weight of my own hand to get different sounds. And obviously that was for the piano. That was for the piano. But I'll like let let my, um, like the weight of my hand falling kind of be, you know... So, I don't know if you could see that. Obviously, the listeners can't see <laughs> <right>. it. <laughs> yeah, I but. absolutely can. Yeah, you're, you have um, a little bit of a, of a wind-up uh, leading the, the thumb yeah. into the string, and that's not yeah. how you 
play 100% of the time, but for that example, yeah, no, that, it that's absolutely changes. Doing. Like for the more bluegrassy stuff, I'll stay planted closer yeah. to the bridge and just kind of stay put. But then, like with the wayward kite, what I just played, like that was definitely more fluid and, and needed um, more dynamics. So I a lot of hand movement all over the the head. Yeah, and tonal tonal mm-hmm. variations. Yeah, and another thing I notice, and um, who was it? I believe Chris Pandolfi was saying that he thinks a lot about the angle of of his actual. Oh <laughs> I'm yeah, cracking my knuckles here. <laughs> uh, the angle of his thumb as it picks, and I think he's he used to be more like this uh, reverse hitchhiker thumb shape, mm-hmm. and he's gone more to what I see you doing, which is a thumb that's bent either bent straight or even yeah. even forward. Yeah, and I guess I don't yeah. know how much of that is even conscious for you. Or yeah, it's something I've become or, aware of as I've taught. You know, okay. it's something I didn't notice about myself until um, people wanted me to tell them what I was doing, you know. Yeah. So, like, for the more bluegrassy stuff, I definitely keep it, like, you know, the standard flattest part of the pick on the string. Like, more of a parallel. Yeah, more parallel. Yeah. So, um, Yeah, just kind of a fat, round, bluegrass tone. And then I've yeah. been really into this kind of, like, claw hammer sound lately. Oh, how, do, so, how does that go? Uh, like, something like this. Like. So for oh, that, yeah. Isn't that cool? That yeah. really gets so, it, yeah. So for and that. she's not actually playing claw hammer, if you can believe it. I, I wouldn't <laughs> have believed it if I didn't see it happen. Well, I like it because you can go in and out of, like, kind of that claw hammer feel to, to bluegrass, you know. So you can kind of That's blend really the two. Neat. Yeah. But for that, like when I'm trying to get that claw hammer sound, like a thumbnail is like kind of raspy. Yeah. Right? So I try to, I actually angle the pick like you wouldn't believe like. Yeah. The, you get yeah, kind of like a dirtier sound. It's like a, a little straight bit of 90 degree. I'm really intrigued so. by this. Can you describe what you're like? I, so you're the, sure, the blade yeah. of your of your thumb is basically like perpendicular to the string. Pretty but what's much, your yeah. actual pat? How are you actually recreating the I rest guess, of that pattern? Yeah, like um, I'm trying to emulate like the bum ditties. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. So like, just very simply put, I guess it's like three, five, one, and then just getting the right lilt yeah, to yeah. it and and that you know speaking of like the weight of the hand like i use that a lot for that kind of thing see how much it's moving yeah so much so that you can even hear a little bit of like the head scraping yeah. which i think adds to it i think <laughs> it, it adds like a cool rhythmic um element to it yeah i've been really into this like the past year or so having fun with it yeah. So you you said that that was something that you address with your students now when you're when you're teaching yeah. more. Yeah, what, I'll tell them about it. Yeah. What else is there? Anything else that's really common that your students tend to want to know about that that you think is really important for people who are who about, are learning or or making steps with their playing about this particular technique or no, about just anything I, I, in yeah, general? Yeah, more more general. Like, um, what do you get? What kind of questions do I get? Yeah, from them. I, I guess that's what I'm asking. Um. You know, I, I get a lot of questions, I guess, because my playing has, like, a, a bounce to it. Uh-huh. Like, I like to, um, I don't know, let's see if I can demonstrate it. You know, I don't know if, if you could hear it in there. But, sure. But yeah. emphasizing different like, notes of the roll. 
you know mm-hmm. so so it's not just all flat one um, monotone you know like getting control of the right hand so you can emphasize one note over the other and kind of treat others like ghost notes you know so they're just kind of there but not prominent yeah Im- um, implied a little more than yeah than- yeah so something like uh, let me just play like a forward roll or something. So kind of like hmm. emphasizing the downbeat is what I did on that one. Yeah. So I feel like people ask about that often, you know, just how to get like a little more pop. And I, I think that's that's how to do it. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. think about which, yeah, what accents you, you put on there. Yeah. Did you do anything specific to develop your right hand or do you maybe even still do anything specific to, to stay in shape with that? Well, I've been teaching this exercise that I think is helpful, and I did do it for a while myself. Mm-hmm. But again, like it's like when I practice, I tend to be more like I'm playing a tune, that, and I want the tune to sound a certain way. Yeah. So I just hack away at it until it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a, a little exercise that I've been teaching people is like go to like um, an F-shaped G vamp chord and right. then just practice – um, going down each string, say like two notes per string, and then emphasizing one of the two notes and backing off on the other. So like you're training yourself to, again, be more intentional about every single note that you play. You know. Yeah. So. sort of thing and you went to three notes there yeah right? switched At the to end? three yeah and okay. just trying to like shake it up as much as possible so you could do like and you can know. you do it backwards from yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to like four two three one you know shaking it up as much as possible challenge the muscle memory yeah you know so we're not locked into rolls and and Do you also change which of those notes get the accent? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that, one of the things. Yeah, so I just was accenting the first of the three. Sure, sure. But you can switch it up so it's accenting the second. You know, just yeah. shaking it up, trying as many varieties, you know, variations on that as you can. Does that work its way into your into your playing, or is that more just a well? I mean, that's drill? like kind of like. Uh, it does work its way into my playing in mm-hmm. that, like, just getting more control of dynamics. Mm-hmm. So, like, with the wayward kite, like, I tried to, you know, back off on some spots, you know. Sure, sure. Soften up on some. Yeah, it's very know. dynamic. So, definitely. so, yeah. So, that exercise is about that. Like, just, like, intentionally deciding how you want every single note to sound when you play it. So, it's not just blazing on through them. Yeah, yeah. So with that, you're you're specifically doing um, all three notes, thumb index middle on on each string at a time. Is that how you actually execute single string passages? Do you do you incorporate all um, three of your? Yeah, fingers? I do. I don't do a lot of single string okay. myself, but yeah, when I do, yeah, I would use all three. Okay, cool. it just kind of depends on the tune, really, and what what comes next. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it just feels like that's what you should do and, yeah. <laughs> and more ergonomic or whatever right depending on what finger you're going to need next like for what lick you're going into or whatever <laughs> yeah so what do you who do you consider some of your more i mean you already told us about some of the players that you 
learned from or that you were influenced by early on? Are there new players out there today who you really look up to and and feel influenced by? Yeah, I'm just always like really interested in the people that are just making a completely new statement. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were just talking about Aaron Jonah Lewis because you did a great yeah, episode yeah. with him. And I was like, hadn't, I wasn't aware that he played the banjo, but I was like super inspired by his completely unique approach to the banjo. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I used, I used some of his licks in one of my classes today. <laughs> what was it? It was like kind of a ragtimey lick. Like it was a class about, about like stealing licks from other instruments to try to like veer oh. you towards innovative playing. Yeah. yeah, it's like kind of one step in that direction. Mm-hmm. So um, I can show you the lick. Uh, it was for Fireball Mail. So we did all these different Yeah, licks. I play with them often, and I don't know yeah. any Aaron Jonah Lewis licks. So I would, I would it was just a small one, but it was, it was like he did this thing. It was like... Right? Very ragtime uh-huh. piano sound to me. So I put it in Fireball Mail like this. Like it was like... That's so hip. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah, it's very cool. So, and um, then you can, I, I actually, I did it very literally the way he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually in the class, I realized after I played it, I did it a little more suited for like rolling. So I did something like, um, or, so, you know, just kind of um, banjo, bluegrass it up a little bit. A little but, more of an unexpected, still, like syncopation yeah. or, or something like that <laughs> and that's one of his banjo licks that he does on his classic yeah, yeah. stuff I actually okay. I reached out to him before this camp and I said like hey can you send me like a lick <laughs> he sent me like a video with you know some cool licks on it and I just took one out that I thought would be oh, yeah. accessible to that's so neat yeah so yeah so I was like very inspired by him and um, Wes Corbett is amazing yeah. isn't he yeah he's well incredible. he's another classical pianist yes yeah which is interesting I, I like trying to maybe just keep track in the back of my mind of of trying to notice those similarities maybe between you and him and and try to notice how i see it coming out well, if, if, you, at all. if you see or, any please let me know <laughs> i would if, love if to you, have any similarity to wes's playing <laughs> you, he's amazing you're you're quite different of a player from wes but no less impressive but yeah i'd it's just a fun like science experiment to see yeah. where people come from and, and yeah, how they end up playing. Actually, it's interesting because um, I saw Wes not long ago, a couple weeks ago at Banjo Summit. Yeah. and um, In Colorado? Yeah, oh, okay. in Co- Fort Collins, Colorado, which was a great camp, really yeah. super cool. And we kind of got to talking about our starting on piano. And I, you know, we talked about my hand position. I think it had a lot to do with how my teacher, my piano teacher, had me hold my hand, which she wanted me to have a low wrist and she always said, like, she would actually draw an eye, like, on the, like, yeah, side of it, my hand right there. Right in between the, the thumb and the index, that, like, yes. fleshy yeah, part of your fleshy palm, part yeah. between thumb and index. And she would um, have me, like, turn my hand in so it's, like, looking at my face. So huh. I don't know why. I mean, that's just like the technique that she had me do. So draw an eye. I thought you meant the letter eye, but you actually oh, mean like an, like an eyeball, eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> looking at you. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's yeah. kind of creepy. So I kind of do that with my banjo hand. And, and Wes said that he does holds his hand the way his teacher told him to do it, which is like totally different. <laughs> I took piano lessons too. And I seem to remember, yeah, more of a 
a higher arched. Yeah. Is that how Wes yeah. does it? Like a higher yeah, one? Yeah, he's like and, higher and, you, and like flatter, flatter fingers. Flatter. He said his teacher said it would be like faster. Huh. He could play faster if he had like flatter fingers. And my teacher wanted me to have like, I don't know how to explain it to podcast listeners, but that what, shape. When I used to teach banjo lessons, I never related this to piano necessarily, but I always said it's almost as if you are doing like a pull-up on a on a bar. Yeah. You, you're no. sort of curled around yeah. an imaginary holding like a bar. Holding like a yeah. paper towel roll. Right. You know, right. and then just with your thumb extended out. Yeah. 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 So. How interesting. <laughs> so the class where you learned f- or you taught people about how to learn from other instruments, what mm-hmm. is your approach to learning from other instruments or what instruments do you enjoy learning from or are well, there specific I think, players? I think of any of them. Yeah. I mean, I learned a few licks from other instruments for the sake of the class. Uh-huh. But I, I mean, the idea is just to expand like the ideas that you're getting. So it's like, yeah. you know, we imitate in the beginning of our learning an instrument or learning anything. You imitate what's already been done. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a good thing, you know. Great to imitate like your heroes. But then kind of, okay, so we learn all the, all the great Earl Scruggs banjo licks or Shady sure, sure. Crow or whatever. But then moving on to a different instrument, you get like a fresh set of ideas because there's like licks that lend themselves to a different instrument. Yeah. Right? Like guitar or, or drums even. Like, you know, I taught them this little, um, this is something I did a lot in that party You're going to teach us a drums lick? Well, it's just like a little backup kind of vampy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But like, you know, it's just something, something to start, you know, kind of get you thinking outside the box yeah yeah. you know and then from there hopefully you start coming up with your own stuff entirely like not not memorizing somebody else's lick but coming up with your own so yeah and um i don't know looking at it from the other perspective i'm always like really amused when if you're playing with a mandolin player and they bust out a scruggs lick yeah i'm like oh no it's awesome (laughs) you're you're talking my language now right and it's cool too because like if you learn like these old mandolin licks or something you sound oddly very traditional, but yet fresh and new and innovative. And people, you know, it's like, yeah. like how does it sound so traditional? It's because you've heard it on a traditional mandolin break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just not on the banjo. So, Do you know Ira Gitlin? Yeah. He, he was on the show and he said one of his, he, he's a Winfield winner. Okay. And a lot of his approach was, I think, is one of like the Foggy Mountain banjo songs. And he learned the, the Dobro break. Oh, nice. For, for that exact reason. Right. He's like, everyone, it'll be recognizable, yep. but they won't have actually heard that before. Like yeah. a banjo playing yeah, Josh awesome. Graves' solo. Love yeah, it. it's, a good, it's a good entryway into other new things that you yeah. want to think about. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about your, your new project? I feel like we um, sort of touched on that and then moved away really quickly. And I at least wanted yeah. to give you as much opportunity as you want to like pitch that well, or, or uh you know tell us what to expect or well or i'm anything. excited i've got i feel like i've got like a, a killer lineup for this band yeah did but, you already say who it, it was no or, i don't think supposed so to say or i think uh, i can say yeah okay. I, don't, I don't think they'll mind <laughs> okay um but uh, i've got my sister who plays fiddle malia furtado and mm-hmm. she's amazing um and then max johnson's playing bass yeah great um and drew madelich on guitar okay. do you know him i don't know he um he played mandolin actually with Billy Strings for a while, and he he's kind of a staple right. of the Asheville music scene. All right. Like he's just at all the music events down there. Yeah. Anyway, he's fantastic. So, 
so that'll be great. And then, yeah, I'm just trying to book up, you know, book up 2020 primarily. And we're, we're showcasing at IBMA. Mm-hmm. So we'll do that. And, and you've already recorded something? I already have a project in the can. I mean, a, a, another album in the can. I don't have the project in the can. That'd be weird. They're like people, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a large um, can. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So I have this album already recorded. We're just kind of, it'll be like, um, we haven't like set a release date, but it's all finished and probably end of summer, fall kind of thing. And you're, you're singing so, and, and Yeah, it's and all, um, all except doing two songs I um, wrote myself and, yep, singing, singing all of them and. Yeah, I'm I'm super stoked about it. I that, just think it turned out great, and that's really cool. To. What are the internet uh, things that people know to like track you down and make sure they get to oh, come yeah. see you? All right, um, GinaFurtadoBanjo.com. Okay, is my website, and then um, I have a an artist page on Facebook, mm-hmm. Gina Furtado. Yeah, yeah. Track track it all down. Yeah, excellent. Hey, thanks again for for giving us your time. Yeah, thank really, you, Keith. <laughs> really enjoy your playing, and uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> thanks. And that's going to be all for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, featuring Gina Furtado of the Gina Furtado Project, formerly of Chris Jones and the Night Drivers. The sound clip that you heard is the title track off of her True Colors album. Thank you once again to the Patreon supporters of this episode. That's Jordan Taylor and Bob Towsley. Once again, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Email the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's all I got for today. So thank you for listening and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>